0: Now he is your
1: host Chris Cooper hi this is Chris Cooper on the business elevation show and it's great to be back with you for yet another week and yet uh, another fantastic guest for you this week we're going to talk about the hunt for unicorns with Winston Marr and before I introduce uh, Winston I'd like to say uh, a big thank you to Judy Robinette who is uh, a wonderful contact in my my network we're going to interview Judy uh, soon on wisdom, and uh, I've always just uh, enjoyed every conversation with with Judy. Who's incredibly well connected, uh, incredibly uh, kind and supportive as well. And I uh, just wanted to say a special mention to her for the introduction to Winston. And on last week's show, uh, I had my my good friend Steve Morris, who's uh, an amazing marketeer and uh, is a, a multiple author. His latest book is uh, entitled "The Beautiful Business." And we talked about really our joint experience around discovering purpose, whether that's your personal purpose, um, which can act as a real fuel for taking you, um, taking you forward and also your business purpose and how those, those are connected. I've done a lot of work um, and I've been doing a lot of work over the last two or three weeks um, and, uh, and, and months and years actually around helping companies and leaders to elevate their performance. But this concept of purpose and the importance of um, leaders understanding their own um, sense of purpose and then um, integrating that into their business purpose has proved um, to be enormously successful in improving organisations and for many of them uh, creating very, very special organisations once they, uh, they fully embrace their purposes. So if you're interested in that, do go into the archive, do check it out and, um, and have a think about your own purpose and um, we give a few tips and tools on how to do that. So I'm following my purpose at the moment. My purpose is about helping um, you to realize more of your potential and um, and and helping you to kind of elevate your performance and uh, we've got someone today who I'm delighted to talk with. A slightly different topic today you know often we're talking about um, self-development or we're talking about, um, about developing and growing your business but I think it's really important to also understand the context of what is going on out there in the world, the the economic framework within which we are operating and operating our companies. And um, when I spoke to um, Winston Wenyan Ma for the first time, I was just completely engrossed in the story of um, of sovereign wealth funds and, and the ownership today in financial markets and why this is causing a major shift in global economic power and competition. Uh, I, I don't know whether it was my interest in economics, but I just found from the past, but I just thought this was a really interesting topic to share. And Winston has um, extensive experience. He's an investor. He's an attorney. He's he's an absolute serial author. And he's an adjunct professor in the global digital economy. And I think one of the things that's very special about Winston is he's one of a very small number of native Chinese people who've worked as investment professionals and practising capital market attorneys in both the United States, I think he was in Shanghai, and also, sorry, in New York, and also in China, in in Shanghai. Um, So he has experience from both sides of the fence. Most recently, for 10 years, he was managing director and head of North America office for China Investment Corporation, CIC, uh, which is China's sovereign wealth fund. Incidentally, I was working with um, Singapore's wealth fund only last year, so partly an interest and a connection there. In addition to his book, uh, The Hunt for Unicorns, um, How Sovereign Funds Are Reshaping Investment in the Digital Economy, um, he's an author of Investing in China and the Pentaology book uh, series on China's mobile internet and tech revolution, starting from China's mobile economy, which was among 2016's business books for CIOs. Um, And uh, it's also his very latest book, The Digital War, How China's Tech Power Shapes the Future of AI, Blockchain and Cyberspace. So we're going to talk about that one as well um, a little bit further on in the interview. So we're going to find out today about um, this background um, to the world of business business economics, high finance, global tech competition and, and why that's relevant to us all and how that's having a huge impact. So a huge welcome to my guest today, Winston Ma
2: morning chris
1: hi lovely to have you on the show winston um and uh, are you were you speaking from uh, today are you in new york yes i do and so t- do you want to tell us a little bit about about your life um, i'm kind of interested to find out about what life was like when you were growing up and what led you to you know this a uh, fascinating career because I, I still i look at you and you still seem a very young man um in um in you know, as both an investor and also as an attorney and and this serial entrepreneur. We'll talk about the books in the moment, but you know what was life like growing up for you? What inspired you to do all of this?
2: Thank you. Thank you, Chris. <laughs> Thank you, Chris. You know, especially for the part that I'd look young Um I certainly, you know, uh grew up in China. I was native of Shuzhou City, which is half an hour away from Shanghai by high speed train at this moment, and I went to college in Shanghai, Fudan University, where I started actually as a undergrad in material science, basically semiconductor physics. Now, about the time to graduate, China and the US had its earlier tech war in 1994 when the US and China had lots of disputes about software protection and I thought I would become the first generation tech lawyer in China. So therefore for graduate studies I went into Fudan Law School. 1997 I graduated and I received scholarship from NYU Law School, New York University. So I got the chance to come to the States. Now, what's interesting is New York is the center of the capital markets, right? So Mm -hmm. I I became a securities lawyer in New York after I passed the bar. And during the last tech boom, I went back into school. I went into University of Michigan B-School for my MBA. And after that, I joined the Wall Street. Uh, I started with JP Morgan, New York. Uh, for capital markets. And 2017, I was hired by Barclays Capital in New York to start the UK bank's US equity business. And in 2007, my friend, if you recall, two things happened, right? One, the financial crisis kicked in. And the second, CIC, China Investment Corporation, you know, the new sovereign wealth fund of China was set up. And I got the chance to joined CIC at its inception to work on global investments by managing a portion of the country's foreign reserve. And that's sort of the journey of, of, of myself, starting as a physics student, becoming a lawyer, then investment banker, and then find my, uh, find a place to put all the experience together at a sovereign investor CIC. And recently, until recently, after ten years of CIC, I moved back to New York and started a new chapter for me.
1: Uh, it's strange how some, you know, some of that different experience suddenly gets a point in life, and it all comes together. It merges.
2: It That's right, out. Chris. You know, we are going through a change in time, and I think you know your program uh, is really important uh, for the new generation of business leaders mm-hmm. to focus on the new trends. And the new interplay of different uh, subjects.
1: Yeah. Were, you, were your family were they from a sort of financial, technical, you know, banking, uh, <laughs> investment kind of background, or or did you uh, break the mold?
2: No, not, not, not really, Chris. Now, actually, I represented I, I represented the generation of Chinese students that came to the states for graduate studies and then entered into the new finance world or other other new world through cross-border education. And I think that that was a really a beautiful time, you know uh, where where you see uh, a free flow of people, ideas, capital. Um, so for someone uh, with my China origin, I also got to the U.S. education, U.S. experience, and then eventually uh, worked for the countries, my own country's uh, government fund. Uh, that that was a great story of globalization, Chris.
1: Yeah, yeah. What, what did you notice? I mean, what have you noticed of the differences in the way China and the U.S. do business?
2: I I think it's it's interesting when when you talk about that. Uh, on one hand, the U.S. and China are very similar that in in that. You know, startup founders are always hardworking, right? Uh, big visions. Uh, you know, you, you have U.S. dream, and in China, you have the China dream. Uh, but at the same time, you know, there are differences. Um, again, let's talk about hardworking, right? Uh, so, if you are a U.S. startup guy and you want to go to China for a business trip, you want to fill your calendar three months before that right uh you, you want to make make the trip as productive as possible mm. and on on on, china, on the china side very few entrepreneurs would want to commit to that time 3 months ago yeah so even if the china side people are forced to put something into the calendar most likely when you land it in china several months later you will get the message from text message or weChat saying that we have to reschedule and it will be rescheduled to another day or several hours later or or, or, or just uh, changing a meeting into a dinner but that most likely will be changed uh, however when it's changed you know on your way from the airport to the uh, to your hotel uh, you can be sure that the Chinese side will be for the changed meeting. I, I think that this is a huge difference in the uh, working culture between China and the US. I and mean, you could, could say it's between China and the West.
1: So you have to be, have to be prepared to uh, suspend any frustration and, uh, and just know, under, appreciate it's part of the culture. So maybe expect it.
2: That, that's right, Chris. Yeah, you have to be very nimble and uh, dynamic.
1: And what does your work entail right now? Because I know you, you became this um, managing director and head of North America's office for CIC, and um, you know today you seem to be writing a lot and you're teaching. And what is what do you? What's a typical typical day a week for Winston Ma these days?
2: Great question. You know, a lot of times I'm quoted in the media as the adjunct professor at NYU Law School, and certainly. I'm working on new investment platforms myself. Uh, so soon, you know, I will carry the title of some investment fund. But the best title I want to say is the author of The Hunt for Unicorns, because <laughs> I just think it's an interesting title.
1: <laughs> and we should, um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I, think, I think it's a fascinating title. Tell us what the title means. What, why, why The Hunt for Unicorns?
2: Yeah, first, what is a unicorn, right? Uh, In medieval lore, the unicorn was a strong, fierce creature, a beast with a single, large, pointed, spiraling horn projecting from its forehead that could be captured only by a virgin maiden. In the myth, the unicorn leaps into the virgin's lap and she circles it. Now, in the context of tech investing, unicorn is the term used to describe a private startup company that has a valuation of more than $1 billion. So here, the unicorn represents something rare and wonderful and potentially some some large valuation further.
1: Uh, now, yeah.
2: the connection with the sovereign funds is the is is here. The sovereign funds are the new venture capitalists in tech investing. You know they have large capital pool from the government balance sheet. So therefore, when sovereign funds are investing in early stage tech companies, it is tempting to state that something similar is happening with tech unicorns and the virgin sovereign investors. Does that make sense, Chris?
1: Yeah, so that, so the, the these funds are attracted to those ones, are they, that are over a billion? Or are they attracted to the ones that could become over a
2: billion? Interesting. You know, because the sovereign funds have such a large balance sheet, Chris, they're actually, they are not only the hunters of unicorns, they're also the unicorn makers, you know, because if they put, let's say, $100 million equity check in a startup company, which is much larger than a typical VC fund, then it's more likely that the the startup will become a unicorn, i.e. a private company with valuation of more than $1 billion, right? Uh, So what we have seen is this uh, huge increase of the number of unicorns last decade, ever since the sovereign investors are coming to the scene. In 2013, When the term unicorn was coined, there were only 38 exceptional startups filling in that category. Now we have more than 400 unicorns globally. And the entry of the sovereign funds is a very important reason for that.
1: So, yeah, so they completely changed the marketplace uh, had certainly had a big impact on VCs, but I imagine other, you know, what are examples of maybe products that um, we might see out in the marketplace that we wouldn't have had if it hadn't been for the sovereign fund investment?
2: I I think there are quite a few, there are quite a few. Uh, So for example, you know, Airbnb, Uber, Tesla, in their early years, they all had tremendous investment from the sovereign funds, and most notably from the Middle East players. Uh, have you heard about the Vision Fund?
1: The Vision Fund? Yes. No. Uh,
2: yeah, so it, it's interesting, right? Uh, the, especially, you know, the, the term vision almost has some connection with the word of, uh, of unicorn, like the, the fairy tale of unicorn. But mm-hmm. here, here, here we go. Uh, the Vision Fund is a 100 billion venture capital fund set up by the SoftBank and the famous Masayoshi Son, But the most, most important the capital source of the fund was two sovereign funds of the Middle East, mm-hmm. the Mubadala Fund of UAE and the PIF, Public Investment Fund of Saudi Arabia. You know, the, these two funds put more than 60 billion into this and when ad, added on the 30 billion ish from the soft bank, they got a 100 billion dollar VC fund. Now, why is this important, Chris? When you think about a typical sovereign, when you think about a typical VC fund in Silicon Valley to be about 100 million dollars or even less, mm-hmm. then you're talking about a 1000 times bigger VC fund. And that's why this. Vision Fund has changed the game of venture capital, and when they put money to work, they have created many important uh, uh, unicorns, such as Airbnb, you know, Tesla, and uh, Uber. Now, of course, it also has the the other side of story, right? You know, because they uh, uh, the the check is too big, and we have seen the case of WeWork. Uh, here, you have a Startup that that it looked very promising, but in the end, never became that wonderful unicorn that the virgin investors expected.
1: We're going to get a commercial break now. After the commercial break, we're going to find out more about investment funds and how they've impacted the digital digital economy and what's happening as a consequence of the pandemic. And uh, we have lots and lots of questions to um, to find out and understand more about this vastly important area that maybe uh, many of you are listening to a little bit myself uh, prior to this conversation were unaware of. So we're providing some great kind of economic, uh, international information um, to understand the backdrop of uh, the world today. So we will be back again with you in just a couple of minutes.
0: When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America. You were tuned into the Business Elevation Show with your host, Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to chris at chriscooper.co.uk. That's chris at chriscooper.co.uk. Now back to Chris Cooper.
1: This is Chris Cooper, and with Winston Marr, we're talking about the hunt for unicorns at the moment. And and we were chatting before the break, Winston, about uh, sovereign investment funds and I'm just in, in, intrigued you you mentioned um uh one from the UAE and we've talked about China, CIC, uh we also mentioned one there in, in Saudi Arabia. What's the what's the origin of these in investment funds and you know who has them around the world and who doesn't have them and because it seems to me they're they're pretty important.
2: Yes, Chris. You know, like to put this question into context, right? Uh, let, let, here's a quick question for the audience. Who holds the power in the capital markets? You know, for a lot of people, they will, they will be thinking about the glamorous investment banks of Goldman Sachs or Morgan Stanley. Or some will be thinking about the large asset managers like Blackstone, BlackRock. Or some will be think, some will be thinking about the high-flying hedge funds like Bridgewater, Point Seven Two. Etc. right? But when you look deeper, the source of capital has a lot to do with the sovereign funds. And that's why the sovereign funds are referred to in the business circle as the asset owners because they hold the source of the capital. And it is estimated that globally, this group holds more than $30 trillion of assets and, and management. Now, when you look deeper, there are three categories of sovereign funds. The most well known one is the sovereign wealth fund, Chris, you just referred to. Uh, and this is this is the fund group that manages national treasuries. Let's put it this way. You know, they manage a country's sovereign sovereign wealth and to increase the size of that for future generations. The best examples are the oil companies or other oil countries. Uh, most obviously, the Middle East, you have Kuwait, Qatar, Saudi, and um, Mubadala of UAE, you know, these are all oil money-based sovereign funds. And you, you can also put uh, Norwegian sovereign fund into this oil fund category. But, you know, there are also countries that have wealth from import export, right? So this is more like China and the Eastern Asian countries like Singapore. So this is a sovereign wealth fund. And then another group of sovereign investment fund is the public pension, you know, the the public pension that manages people's pension money and the, the country takes the liberty for that, right? And the third category is the investment arm of the central banks. For every country of the world, the central banks manage the country's foreign reserve and they have to manage their money by investing somewhere. Uh, now, if you look at the China case, it's interesting that Uh, China has all three category funds. Uh, CIC, I used to work in, uh, was the sovereign wealth fund. And China also has a social security fund, which manages money for people's future pension. And the third is the investment arm of the central bank, known as SAFE, S-A-F-E, State Administration of Foreign Exchange. They also invest foreign reserve in global markets. Now, because they serve central banking purposes, a lot of their money was in U.S. government bonds. In fact, the SAFE holds more than one trillion U.S. treasury bonds. So when you look at SAFE's treasury bond holding plus global investments, it can easily become the number one biggest sovereign fund in the world. And to put this into context, Chris, it's, it's very interesting. When you look, think about all the countries I mentioned, these are a lot of these funds are coming from the emerging markets. So therefore, when you think about the rise of the sovereign funds, it is also the rise of the emerging market investment power for the first time, they are in the same playground with the OECD financial institutions. I think this is the important geopolitical context of the rise of sovereign investment funds.
1: so the power around the the world is changing. Those countries we thought were emerging in the West may become dominant as a consequence of this.
2: Yes, yeah, can you imagine like China actually is the creditor of the US
1: (laughs) as well as well as creditor as well as competitor
2: that that's totally true that's totally true and and as we look forward right we will find uh, more and more countries just like china will be using sovereign funds as a policy tool right as an investment tool to play important roles in the the global capital markets
1: so have some countries, I mean I'm thinking I'm, I'm in the UK at the moment, have some countries kind of missed the boat with this because um not every country has developed these investment funds and they've it it it's as I understand it, um, mm-hmm. please correct me if I'm wrong, it's kind of it's kind of the you know the difference between um maybe you know the, the money raised from between GDP and GNP or something. Um it's 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 that that money is then invested rather than get maybe going back in terms of tax cuts or something um, to the people, it's then invested into companies and grows. Um, but but some yep. some nations haven't done this, have they? They've taken a different approach.
2: <laughs> you're, you're absolutely right, Chris. Actually, you know, UK is the best example, right? You know, UK also got all your money, but uh, instead of, you know, decades ago, instead of setting up a, a sovereign fund, it choose to uh, cut tax, right, and probably uh, let, Led to the uh, boom of the UK real estate sector. Uh, makes your house more valuable, Chris. Uh, but this is just you know one one example, one example. Uh, but you know to put this into into context, you know th- this can answer your question better. You know the it, it's helpful to think about the sovereign funds community as a village, a, a village of different sovereign funds. Yeah. And here, you know, the, the Middle East residents are relatively richer, you know, in average, their funds are bigger. Huh? Uh, and uh, the OECD countries, you know, especially, let's say, North American, North American region, um, they are mostly pension funds, you know, they have very few sovereign funds they have very few sovereign wealth funds, right? There's their sovereign funds are the pension funds and there t- are more middle aged people there, have a longer history. Now, the youngest group is from Africa. You know, Most of the sovereign wealth funds in Africa were set up after year 2000. Most of them were based on oil money, but of course, you know, smaller in size, Comparing to the Middle East rich countries, and and this it, this 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 community is still growing. You know, as we speak, there are more countries are uh, thinking of setting up sovereign funds, and uh, in the case of Indonesia, they are having a sovereign fund being set up right now, uh, and it has. Uh, and I think, you know, this will become a very common story as we look into the pandemic uh, because the pandemic has had a tremendous impact on global economy and more, more and more countries are working hard to stabilize the economy and find new growth engine, right? Uh, for that, uh, a lot of countries are looking at sovereign investment funds as a possible vehicle to promote such new growth post-pandemic.
1: Uh, and how when it comes to this this digital economy yeah um how are you seeing the the um pandemic impacting maybe you know the way we the way we buy and the um the digital nature being kind of more online and what what are you seeing in terms of the impact this is having on the way we're doing doing business right now
2: Yes you know certainly you know the pandemic has pushed more and more activities online. As a result, actually you even see a shortage of digital infrastructure. Now with the promise of low latency and uh, a fast connectivity, the 5G network technology is viewed as the potential solution to this. Uh, So First of all, I think there will be a increase in digital investment, digital infrastructure investment, investments, especially uh, for 5G networks. So this pandemic actually serves as a catalyst for faster adoption of 5G networks. So, so that's one. And the second is because so many activities are going online, the data issue becomes even more important. Uh, it's as if every every day, every activity of everyone is is digital, right? So it is some form of data stored somewhere. So I think the pandemic actually exacerbated the the issue of personal data privacy, and it also will become a catalyst for data regulation accelerating. Because yeah, we've seen we've
1: seen more fraud and things like that. Online, as a consequence too, haven't
2: we? That's right.
1: So yeah, criminals using that as a as a means to um, as a means to uh, benefit. Um, so we get so there's basically five G is happening, um, going to happen quicker, and uh, and that online privacy and protection is another area. Yep. Yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah. and then you see the sovereign funds are also taking taking uh, more actions in infrastructure investments, uh, especially in digital infrastructure, Chris. You know, in the past, past let's say crisis, right? Uh, the government's always putting in stimuluses to, to generate new growth. Uh, traditionally, for example, in China, the typical stimulus package will be infrastructure investing in bridges, roads, uh, and high-speed trains. And sure, you know, these generate GDP and generate jobs and also generate growth, right, yeah, during a crisis. Now, for 2020 pandemic of coronavirus, China came up with this new concept of new infrastructure. Uh, under Under this initiative, the stimulus money will be more directed to new digital infrastructure investing, such as cloud, such as, um, yeah, as we see, you know, more companies are um, moving their IT into cloud, right? And, and, and the data centers, you know, since there's a jump of data usage, um, and also uh, data market, you know, since, since there will be a more uh, flow of, of data within the industries. So this is what China is focusing on, uh, referred to as the new infrastructure initiative. And I, and I can see that more countries will go in that direction. You know, going forward, when they go for stimulus package in crisis, the focus will be more on digital infrastructure than the traditional industry.
1: Yeah. I'm interested in some of those businesses you mentioned earlier. You mentioned Airbnb, Tesla. Yeah. Um, you know, Airbnb. I don't think they've got great demand, certainly not in this country at the moment, for, for Airbnb. So that's one where... You know, the, the pandemic's definitely impacted. I know the sale of cars isn't great at the moment, but on the other side of it, electric, electric vehicles. Yes. Is certainly a big kind of moving trend, isn't it? Um, are, are these sovereign funds involved in things like the sort of space race? You know, they've got, um, they've got Amazon's um, Betsos and also uh, Elon Musk at the moment yep. investing huge sums in, uh, in that technology.
2: Oh, that's a, that's a great question, um, uh, Chris you know, the, the the sovereign funds have become more sophisticated and they are also investing in more real technology than just pure business model innovation. So in the early years, right, we will see most of the, the, the VC money as well as the sovereign investors got into the business models, Airbnb, you know, the Uber, right, these are the representative of those companies. You know, they, they, they use internet as a platform and they quickly uh, gather user traffic, which also leads to very quick valuation jump. Uh, but in recent years, more and more some investors are focusing on quote unquote harder technologies, technologies that are changing, right? The existing business or changing the existing applications versus mobile internet, which basically just provides the connectivity of the users. Uh, so, so in, you know, in, in the examples you, you just mentioned, relating to electric cars, uh, sovereign funds also have uh, made investments into that. You know, Mobodala was it, it, again, is an investor in Waymo, you know, the uh, autonomous car driving unit of Google. Yep. And uh, in China, Neo NIO, uh, NASDAQ listed, uh, uh, NASDAQ listed electric car maker uh, was backed by many sovereign funds, including Singapore's Temasek. Right. Uh, so going forward, you you will you will you will you will find that the sovereign investors will be very active investors in every latest innovation, because I think they have developed their in-house team to cover the digital economy as comfortably as 10, 20 years ago when they started to buy in real estate and, and infrastructure assets directly.
1: Fantastic. Well, on, on that point, we're gonna go to get into commercial break. After yep. the commercial break, we're gonna talk about your your uh, another new book that you've got released in January, The Digital War. And uh, we'll talk about that because I think that fits beautifully right now to realize actually there is, Something happening at a, at a real kind of global level, um, where there is a, a, a lot of competition and rivalry, and um, gaining advantage out there in the market um, right now. So let's let's understand a little bit about that, and and perhaps a little about the future of AI and blockchain and cyberspace and those sorts of things. We're back again with you in just a couple of minutes. Two John is after the break.
0: From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network.
1: Hi, this is Chris Cooper. I'm with Winston Ma. We're talking about the hunt for unicorns. Um, and if you want to, if you want to find out more about um, about that and the the, the book, it can um, it's available to uh, to purchase. Um, but I, let's talk now about another new book. I mean, you are such a prolific author. Um, released in January, the digital war. And um, you know what I'm sort of sensed, you know, from our conversation, that we need to understand the strategic context of this because this is this is. Um, increasing tension around the globe, shall I say?
2: Yes, Chris, you know, uh, I think 2021 January is a good time to release the book uh, because it rhymes with the Trump-Biden transition. You know, a lot of time people say Trump started the digital war with China. But in my mind, actually, it started a bit earlier. Um, For that, let's recall in May 2017, there was a historical match between AI algorithm and human player of the Go chess, you know, the traditional chess game in China. Yeah. Uh, You know, the the China side was the best human player in the world and the the, the US side was the AI algorithm, AI-enabled computer program designed by Google's DeepMind Lab, which is called AlphaGo. And... That showdown was ripe with suspense and symbolism, right? You know, human versus machine, intuition versus algorithm, tradition versus modern. But above all, you can say, it looks like China versus the US. Now, the AI machine in that game beat the best human player in a straight 3-2-0 win. And perhaps it was a coincidence of timing, Chris. Soon after that, within a few months, China released an AI development plan, which caused China's AI to be the world's quote, unquote, undisputed leader by 2030, just 10 years from now. So what do we see, Chris, is in recent years, Chinese tech companies have proven their mettle by catching up to global rivals in the smartphone and a fourth generation technology. Now, in 2021, in the age of 5G, China's innovation ecosystem is one of the most interesting innovation hub in the world, just like Silicon Valley. So this is a closer match now than the gold chester game between best human player and Google's alpha four years ago, right? So this is real competition and this is the real digital war and the strategic context of my new book, Chris. Ah, and, and this, um,
1: this was, I mean, I'm, I'm, when I'm thinking about this, this I hadn't. Um, I hadn't thought about the significance of that. I remember that happening. Um, yeah. One of the things that triggered my mind was this um, this um, issue between China and the U.S. around Huawei.
2: Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh,
1: that highlighted to me that there was uh, there was tension was building.
2: Right. You know, Huawei is a very important case study of that uh, because it relates to the, uh, the 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 5G network. You know, the backbone of future digital economy. Uh, but I, in, you know, in the in, in my book, I choose AI, blockchain, and cyberspace because 5G is enabler of all three. Um, so, first of AI, you know, we already talked about the AI race between China and the U.S. because they, you know it's already part of the national plan, right? And uh, the blockchain is also a very interesting aspect to this. Uh, for example, you know, uh, during the pandemic, people have used the Zoom a lot. Uh, but they they probably missed, you know, since last April, right? People use the Zoom a lot, so people talk about Zoom. However, last April, people probably missed that China's central bank actually unveiled to the public its new digital currency. You know, that is the world's first central bank digital currency, known as the DCEP, Digital Currency Electronic Payment. So... This has become the front run of China's blockchain play. Going forward, you know, we will, we will also find many Chinese companies will become blockchain companies. For example, Alibaba's Ant Group, also known as Ant Financial, claims to have the most blockchain patent applications in the world. So this is also an area that we keep should keep an eye on. And I also use the term cyberspace there because, in 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 the general digital world, China is having more and more influence through the Digital Silk Road initiative, right? Which is the, which is about the connectivity between China and the emerging markets. Uh, globally, you know. Uh, as we talk about hyperconnected society, Chris, in, in UK or in, in China or in the US, uh, actually globally there are still 3 billion people without the basic internet connectivities. Mm. So for the digital Silk Road to, to reach emerging markets with collaboration on digital infrastructure project, projects, uh, China is uh, taking on uh, very important projects for the world but at the same time, is also taking on a, a lot of uh, soft power by connecting China with the emerging markets. So that's why I, I, I use the title, Future of AI, Blockchain and the Cyberspace.
1: Should we, be, should we be nervous about all of this? I mean, will these, this, this tension ultimately lead to a very positive future or are there other risks?
2: I think it's very mixed, Chris. You know, on one hand, right, uh, the global tension actually makes more and more governments more conscious about investing in the tech sector. So we see in many countries, the sovereign funds, again, you know, back to the sovereign funds, guys, uh, a lot of the sovereign funds are used as a policy tool to invest in domestic digital infrastructure and investing in domestic innovation ecosystem. Uh, Again, let's just use Mobadana as example, right? Uh, it is in the desert of Middle East, but it wants to be the innovation center of the Middle East. So what the sovereign fund has been doing is to finance a local development park in Abu Dhabi called Hub 71 AD. And at the same time, it sets up two funds to specifically finance startups in the region. So these are very positive things that we see uh, coming from this tech competition, if you will. Uh, I think tech competition is a more neutral word, right? Uh, but at the same time, uh, you see many areas things are really developing in the context of digital war. Um, Huawei example, right? Uh, Huawei has been the number one player in the 5G networks followed by the Euro- European companies, Ericsson and Nokia. And actually U.S. has no national champion for 5G. So what the, what the U.S. is talking about is to set up some sovereign funds on 5G, specifically to finance research and the development of 5G technologies that can be an alternative to the Huawei technology. The flip side That's is, clear. The so okay. first side is the semiconductor, right? China sets up a semiconductor fund to try to be self reliant from the US. So, so this digital war is really happening, Chris.
1: It's hitting in, comparing with Intel, is
2: it? You're, you're right. You're right. You know, and here, you know, it's not only about competition for revenues or market share, right? It, it may actually lead to different technology standards leading to very fractured internet. Imagine if you have your version of 5G network, I have a Huawei one, or if uh, uh, someone has, uh, uh, has an Intel chip and then someone has a smartphone powered by Chinese chip, uh, they may have to change smartphone when they travel and, they, uh, and when they go to internet in different regions and they see very different internet. You know, this is a worry that we have to look at.
1: I, I guess unless we, we we created a situation where we we were we were governed globally and yep. uh, resources were allocated equally uh, yep. and fairness kind of prevailed. I guess there is a risk with something like five G technology, whereby if um, you know, for example, you know the United States owned uh, the Chinese infrastructure or the Chinese owned the United States infrastructure, that if there was a tension, one could potentially switch the technology off and. Impact the whole functioning of a country.
2: That's right, Chris. You know, ma- maybe uh, after the podcast, you can also think about a, uh, a thriller movie for that. Uh, but <laughs> you know, it's completely—it's not completely a fiction, right? Uh, you, you know, the cybersecurity is such a important issue when everything is going digital.
1: Mm. Yes. So, so if you had a if you had a crystal ball. Um, yeah. What what important trends around the global digital economy? We've talked about 5G, actually. Are there any other trends that we need to be aware of in the next 10 years? You talked talk about activities online, anything else?
2: I see, yeah, I would I say uh, three main trends to expect in this coming decade. Uh, first, obviously, is that we will go more digital. You know, the pandemic has changed people's behavior. Uh, everything is going digital, and I, I think there's a no point of return. So, so this digital transformation uh, actually has been accelerated by the pandemic. Second, I would think there will be restrictions, more restrictions on cross-border data flow going forward, which can really limit the potential of data intensive technologies, such as cloud computing, such as AI, and as well as blockchain. Uh, uh, You know, relating to data, you know, just a few more sentences on this. I think we are really at a crossroad here. You know, on one hand, because of the notion data is the new oil, every country looks at data as a national treasury. You know, they want to protect that. At the same time, every country is saying we should invest in new technologies. And a lot of them are data intensive. Uh, as I said, you know, AI needs to be trained by data. And uh, cloud computing is really about uh, uh, data management, right? Uh, so so for, for that, every country wants to have more data. <laughs> so, okay. so, this, so this is so the tension we have. Yeah, so, so it's natural, you will see more restriction on cross border data flow going forward. And the, the, the third trend, I, you know maybe it's positive, Chris, uh, is that uh, at least there's a one common consensus among all governments, that is the big tech companies must be regulated. So a big trend in the coming decade is the increasing regulation of the big tech companies. You know, in China, the data privacy law will be effective in 2021 and the country is going to amend the antitrust law in 2021 as well. Uh, These may trigger the U.S. to develop its first federal privacy law. Can you believe that? U.S. doesn't have that yet. And the U.S. may also um, improve its antitrust law with new thinking around the digital economy, right? Using new parameters to 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 work on antitrust analysis
1: Fantastic. relating
2: to big guys like Google, Ali, uh, uh, Alibaba.
1: Excellent, Winston. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. I absolutely love this conversation. It's been really, really interesting. Very quickly, a quick final message you'd like to leave us with?
2: Yeah. No. I I, I think um, we we are really going to a digital world. So for whatever we are right are we whether, whether we are investment bankers or lawyers or whether we are business owners or startup founders we really really need to understand the implications uh, implications of the digital transformation yeah. uh for for our everyday business we have to adopt new digital models and in the middle of that we must be uh conscious of the entry of this powerful new venture capitalist group the sovereign investment funds. Okay. Their 30 plus trillion dollars will have a very impact, very, very big impact in the future development of the global digital economy.
1: Fantastic. I'm going to leave us there. Um, I would recommend people go out by The Hunt for Unicorns, How Sovereign Funds Are Reshaping Investment in the Digital Economy. And also this this fantastic book, The Digital War. Um, this Winston Wenyan Ma. Um, lovely to um, talk to you today. On next week's show, we've got um, Glenn Mia, we're talking about discovering agreement in disagreeable times. Glenn's also a real high-end, top-end attorney uh, and um, from uh, GT Law, um, but he's going to share with us how to deal with uh, conflict and trying to avoid um, conflict turning, turning nasty and how to manage that more effectively. Uh, once again, a huge, huge thank you to Winston Ma, and we look forward to speaking to you again next week. Any questions or comments? Um, come to me at chris at chriscooper.co.uk. You can also, um, if you have any messages for Winston, uh, send them to me. Or Winston, do you want anyone to contact you in any way?
2: Yeah, feel free to find me on LinkedIn.
1: Great, find Winston on LinkedIn. Any trouble with that, just get in touch with chris at chriscooper.co.uk and I'll be delighted to help. So you take care and um, have a good week.